When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. My name is Jeff Fader. I have a small company in the heart of the Hudson Valley called Fader Knives, where we make custom knives. And I'm a sculptor, and I'm a blacksmith. And no, I don't chew horses. This isn't that kind of show, and for the love of God, we're starting off the wrong foot. This is the Full Blast Podcast on the Makery Podcasting Network. The Makery Network. I'm super excited about this network. This is something, it's the brainchild of Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, who created the number one knife-related podcast on the planet, Knife Talk. This is the flagship show on this network. Very excited about that. A number of months ago, I floated the idea to him that maybe we should be doing more content and, you know, you could have other people doing a little bit of the work. And he was just like, I don't know. It's just... I really wanted Craig to create a podcasting network for my own gains. I wanted Craig to produce my show because I'm stupid and I can't do computer stuff and I'm not good with RSS feeds and all that. And I was kind of sowing the seeds of him creating this and it, it worked. So I'm very th thankful for that. This is going to be a great network. I'm, I'm stunned at how much work Craig has done to make this thing such a beautiful place, beautiful network. He's got podcasters that I'm stunned have, have signed on, and it's going to be really exciting to be involved with that. So this is a podcasting network for makers by makers. And I know what you're saying. Well, Jeff, what the hell are you going to do? Well, I thought about it, and I used to do a podcast called The Downward Spiral with my friend Nico Tavernisi, who's a set photographer to the stars. And then... I was doing a little bit of podcasting with Craig before I became one of the co-hosts of Knife Talk, the number one knife-related podcast on the planet. Number one. And uh, I was go before he had me and Mareko Momasi become his co-hosts, uh, I was going to do the Full Blast podcast. This is a, The name of this podcast was not, <laughs> was not by chance uh, rhyming. I w didn't care that it rhymed with podcast. The Full Blast podcast was very important to me, and I really wanted to basically live out my dreams of being a radio guy. Uh, podcasting is the perfect reason to do that. I love radio. And I had started to record the first episode of the Full Blast podcast right 
as I was doing an Instagram live and Craig actually listened to it. And within a few days, he floated the idea, why don't you join me in Mareko and we'll do a podcast. We'll do the knife talk together. And we, great, no problem. As long as you do it, as long as you do all the heavy lifting and I'll just come in for dick jokes and, you know, try to sound mildly entertaining. So here we are. And uh, it's been great. And we've, we've run, uh, Knife Talk has literally been uh, such a highlight for me. Uh, it's been awesome for the maker community. Uh, we are the number one podcast, uh, knife-related podcast on the planet, and I'm very proud of that. Um, I love doing it, and I also love doing the Knife Talk single tracks. If you go to Knife Talk, the single tracks is where we would do it by ourselves, and I did a few episodes by myself. And that was a test to see if I could do the Full Blast podcast and really kind of make something great. So what this podcast is going to be is going to be not helpful. It's going to be not enlightening. It's going to be pure drivel. A lot of the podcasts on the Makery Network are filled with really, really smart and helpful and creative guys. These are going to be the kind of shows where you're going to want to have a notepad. These are the kind of shows where you're going to say, what was that website he said? Or who was that guy he was talking about? This is not that. This is going to be your end of the day. You're putting your tools away. You're wrapping things up. You're getting ready for, for, uh, to go home and do nothing. This is going to be mindless drivel. And that's what I want. I don't want to be helpful. I don't want to, say, I don't want to be inspiring. I don't want to make you do anything other than just breathe in deep. So you're on the Makery Network. What's, what are you going to be making? I'm going to be making it happen. That's all I can say. So we're going to be doing, we're going to be talking to people. We're going to be interactive with the listeners. If you go to the Full Blast podcast on Instagram, join the conversation. You can DM me questions, ideas, stories. We're going to be telling a lot of stories. Uh, we're going to be talking about funny things that had happened. We're going to sling some dick jokes. And when social distancing kind of dissipates, I'll have some guests. And we're going to have some fun. So this is the Full Blast Podcast. Once again, I'm Jeff Fader, and welcome aboard. So on this podcast, usually episode one, you give the origin stories. Well, I'm not fucking doing that because I'm a narcissist and I'm self-absorbed, but even I have my limits. I'm not going to tell you about my life. I'm not going to tell you. Always oh, start. That is ugh, so exhausting. So I'm hoping as a weekly podcast progresses, we start to learn about each other, and I'm going to slowly, slowly paint a picture over time that you're going to understand. So there's no real need to say anything other than that. But I will say that the name of this podcast, the Full Blast Podcast, comes from something very, very specific that happened to me 20 years ago. It's something that I love. It's something that uh, it means a lot to me, kind of, kind of helped me in regards to my life. So... 20 some odd years ago, I graduated college and I went to school. I didn't go to school. I had a shop. And then I ended up becoming involved in the restaurant business. I went to, when I went to school, I mean, I went to culinary school and I got involved in the restaurant business. So I ended up, because I went to culinary school and I could cook, and because I had this background in building things, construction stuff, I ended up becoming a project manager for this restaurant group. It was a, it was a great restaurant group in the heart of New York City. 
restaurants in New York, restaurants in California, restaurants in Las Vegas. And I was like, you know, there was enough restaurants in Manhattan that I could kind of like go around. So I was getting along well. And one day the, um, the head, the president, the owner said to me, Jeff, I have, we have this idea. We were approached by another restaurant company to help build this restaurant. A restaurant had been started, and the, the uh, investors had come to um, my boss at the time and said, look, we're having a hard time with uh, the building of the restaurant and the concept of the restaurant. We need, we've sunk a lot of money in it. We need help building this restaurant. So he said, no problem. I'm your man. So he brought me in, and he said, here's what we got. We got the space. We got the location. We have some of the things. The architecture is working. The construction is working, but we don't have a chef. We don't have a concept. And that's what we're going to do. But what I need you to do, and he pointed at me, and he said, I need you to build this restaurant. Do you think you can build it? I'm like, oh, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're going to be representing me, and you're going to be dealing with the contractors and the subcontractors and help organize the construction of this build, of this project so you can explain it to me and explain it to all these investors. And I thought to myself, I was just like, well, I've never done that before, but you know, let's let's give it a whirl. How hard can it be? So I was the first employee of this particular restaurant. Um, I had a little, I didn't even have an office. I was just like, they just, you know, whoever had the, the, the project beforehand had just stacks of manuals and books and uh, contracts and we have furniture here and we have, you know, contractors working here. And I had to kind of like familiarize myself. In the meantime, there wasn't a restaurant. There wasn't a chef. There wasn't a concept. It was just like we're building this restaurant, and you're gonna you're gonna have to. We're gonna we're gonna you know, figure something out. So, after a couple days, I was told that they had picked a chef to be the the figure the figurehead, the flagship chef of this restaurant, and it was gonna be this very famous French chef who had an incredible pedigree. He was really well-respected, well-received, and this is going to be his. He had been looking for a restaurant anyway, so my boss had, you know, he, he just, it all worked out. It was, it seemed like, you're looking for a restaurant, and we're looking for a chef, so boom. And, you know, our, my boss was like, I really don't want to, this is going to be a silent situation. I don't really, I want to be, you know, very out of the, the spotlight in, in regards to this place. But I'm going to be helping build it. So I met this guy. And he was this tall French chef, thin, just this classic French chef with you know dark hair, and he had this very classic face of the French face with his nose was kind of like that that hawk bill and chin was and his lips were kind of pursed together, and there was this he always had the resting face of like you know this that French that classic French just something smells bad he's this just look of disgust on his face all the time. And I and, and I he they he came to the office and he was tall and thin and, and wearing like a for some reason his 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 look was to wear a uh, a photographer's vest, like as if he was khaki photographer's vest as if he was in the, the wilds of the you know Kenya going on a you know photographic safari. That was his move. It was this like strange move. And in the, in the center of Manhattan, it was odd. So he introduced himself to me, and he was super nice. His English was awesome. He was just—he was nervous. He was coming into this building, coming into this, you know, this restaurant company, 
and uh, they introduced him to me and they, you know, this is Jeff and he's going to be helping you and he's going to be the project manager of this project and, you know, whatever you need, he's going to help you and help facilitate making this thing go fast and we have this particular timeline, we got to get the ball rolling because we're coming in kind of like before it started. And he couldn't have been nicer. Oh, it's so good to meet you. How are you, Jeff? Uh, yeah, so we, we'll be a team, we'll be a team. So at the in the beginning, it was just me and him and we were in the office going through the manuals and you know, talking about what we needed to do. And I was very like, I was eager to please. That's one thing that over the time you're most likely you're going to learn that I was a eager to please got, you know, wanted to, you know, I hated authority, but feared it and, and tried to, you know, gain the respect of authority by sucking up at a young age. I was always just hate, hate and fear of authority, but willing to please. Cause I'm looking for some sort of I'm looking for I'm looking for some sort of uh, acceptance. It's fine. What? Listen, this isn't end up being uh, me lying on my back and in and, and analyzing myself, but that's just the way it's going to be. So he was super cool and he was very excited but nervous. And we were looking through all these books and there was this one his ledger from the fact that we we're paying rent on the storage space with all this equipment in it and, and furniture in it. And I'm like, that's so weird. We're, pl- we're playing for this, you know, this strange web, you know, storage space uh, on the on, in Chelsea. What what do you think that is? And he goes, Well, let's go. What do you say? Let's go now. I was like, You think we should call or go? No, we go. Full blast. Let's go. Full blast. So he gets up, puts a jet, puts his. his photographer's vest on and we go and full blast became let's not talk about it we go full blast LA full blast and we went to this crazy storage space in Chelsea and as soon as we came in the door there were these open doors with these West African guys working in each shop in each space like it was like these shops and they were stringing together these African drums and doing all this tchotchke stuff in the in these storage spaces, and it dawned on me that if you ever go to some of these flea markets where they have all these like imported, I'm putting air quotes up, these imported African trinkets, they were being made in this goddamn storage facility in Chelsea, and it stunk like animals, and it it was very strange. There wasn't, I mean, it was just like they were stringing drums together, and these dudes were like, it was it was almost like out of a little bit like. Blade Runner. It was these strange rooms and these dudes like using these rooms like storage. I mean, they're storage spaces. They were using them as workshops. We went into our the space that we had all these. You know, there was chairs that were bought and all furniture stuff. But it was amazing because the chef said to me, "We go. We don't ask. We go. Full blast. We go. Full blast." And I'll never forget just thinking, "Ah, that's such a such a yeah." Let's stop talking about it and let's just go. Just like this podcast, we let's go. Full blast. So it was incredible because we started to, I started to realize that he was really into it, but it wasn't just about like, you know, it was like, let's go see for ourselves. So we went to a, we, we not only did we go to that storage space, we went to see, you know, we saw these ledgers for a banquet. So, so what do you think? We should call him. No, no, let's go full blast. We go full blast. Everything was full blast. It was like, let's go see it for ourselves. Let's just go down there. And it was like, it was very exciting. And, and as the restaurant was building, we started to kind of connect with the contractors and the subcontractors. They were like some screwy shit going on. But, we, you know, we were a team. The chef and I were a team. We were getting along. He was a super good dude. He was just, 
He was awesome. Everything full blast. We go full blast. And anytime he said full blast, it was like this charge. It was like, yeah, yeah, the fucking full blast. Let's go. Fuck fucking full blast. Let's go. Let's go. What do you say? And then I started saying it. Well, should we go? I was with my my wife now, but my fiance at the time, I was just like, she would say, do you think we should have hamburgers for dinner? Yeah, full blast. We go full blast. So I was saying full blast all the time. She ended up making me a sweatshirt that's in full blast. Yeah, I love it. Full blast is such a great, it was such a great expression for we go. No, no, there's no question. No questions, Jeff. We go full blast. So as time went on and the restaurant started to build some of his guy, he had already kind of started like looking if he found his general manager and he had found, he know he knew the pastry chef, he knew the general manager and he started slowly, slowly bringing in his guys. You know, this is no longer like just him and me. This was his guys. And I started to realize that there was this different dynamic. I had worked for this restaurant group and I thought that I was part of this restaurant team. And then the dynamic of like, we go for blast went it started to change and i noticed it started to change because when his guys started to come to the office and we started to i seem to have turned from teammate to unfortunate butt of jokes and it really it just it started in super quick and it was just such a fucking weird situation so it went from we go full blast jeff jeff how are you full blast to all of a sudden the pastry chef was sitting down and and chef was sitting down, and one of his other guys was sitting down, and we were looking, we were looking at you know through some things, and how's, and they were they were the two of them were talking, and I get over here, and he says, go ask Fadas, he he'll, he'll tell you, and I didn't really think much of it. Go 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 ahead, go ask Fadas. And then I I just started to realize, are they are they talking to me? Are they talking to me? This is just no, 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 no. So I kept on doing whatever I was doing. And I hear, hey, fat ass, come here. Show us this uh, blah, 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 blah. I said, me? Talking to me? Yes, you, fat ass. Get over here. You get over here, fat ass. Fat ass. It's like, yes, hey, fat ass. Fat ass. Now, I... I've been, I'm a big guy right now. I'm hovering around, you know, 230 ish. I'm a tall 6'1. I'm a big guy, blacksmith, you know. But I don't think I would refer to myself as being a fat ass. And I just looked at him and he just sitting, he's just smiling. And then the chef's snickering, his pastry chef, his little Indian pastry chef. And he goes, fat ass, get over here, fat ass. Fat ass? I said, fat ass? And I, we had a thing going on, me and this guy. And all of a sudden, it's, it's come here, Fadas. And I said, this must be you know, a little joke. And as time passed, he just kept calling me Fadas. But he was just calling it like you could tell because of his French accent or something. He said it with such a with such flair. It just came out like with such general enjoyment, like Fadas. Come over here, fat ass, fat ass. And I, one time I said to him, "What are, are you? Why are you calling me fat ass? Fat ass? What? Why are you calling me fat ass?" And he just looked at me and he goes, "Because." I said, "Why? Because why?" He goes, "Because you're fat, fat ass. That's why I call you fat ass, fat ass. You're fat, and I'm going to keep calling you fat ass." So we go. 
full blast, fatas. Let's go. So then all of a sudden, it started to become unenjoyable. It started to become unenjoyable because all of a sudden, I didn't feel like I was part of the team anymore. I felt like I was fat ass, and it annoyed me. And he said it in front of this the pastry chef and his Indian pastry chef. He used to say it in a way that I wish I could say it, but I just don't want to come across as being racially insensitive. But actually, it was pretty funny. There was a lot of head nodding. And when he said it actually was pretty funny, if it wasn't directed at me, it would be even funnier. But all of a sudden, I got roped into this project where my nickname was fucking fat ass. I fucking hated it. So as the restaurant's building, I'm starting to just kind of like, well, the restaurant's going to be built, and then I'm going to be on to something else. Project management, I'm going to deal with the contractors. We got all the refrigeration units in, and we got all the this, and we got the construction going, and the electrician, and the lighting, and the, and the this, and the that. I helped them with the menu and all this stuff, and I'm, I'm slowly, slowly, slowly starting to get myself out of it because I'm fired up about full blast. I'm fired up about full blast. We go full blast, but I'm fucking getting cold on the whole, hey, fat ass, just didn't really make me want to stick around. You know what I'm saying? You understand. If, so, if you were at a job where somebody started calling you fat ass, I'm not sure you would really, after a while, it would probably grate on you. So as the restaurant's being built, I'm seeing the writing on the wall. I'm seeing that this place is going to, it's going to be great, but I'm getting the fuck out. As soon as this place is over, I'm under the impression that this is it for me. So then the general manager, was in, I was introduced to the general manager, who was this Alsatian guy who was a little bit strict. I think that service in Europe is a lot different. He had philosophies in regards to how he treated people. He did not call me fat ass. And there was a couple reasons. He specifically, there's a lot of other things he probably could have called me. He did not call me fat ass. The pastry chef called me fat ass. The head chef called me fat ass. Everyone's calling fat ass. Hey, fat ass, get over here, fat ass. But the general manager didn't call me fat ass. And it just, and at the time, he really wasn't my boss. I was still the employee of not only the restaurant, but the overall arching. I was an agent of the business, the group. So the general manager, I started to notice, the general manager refused. He didn't say, I'm not going to call you fat ass. But he clearly, there was something in his way of calling me fat ass. And part of it is because he wasn't the thinnest of thin anyway. He was a little bit bigger than me. And number two, I think he saw this weird power dynamic. I could tell that he was kind of like looking at my relationship to the owners. of the, And then I just think he was being very, very careful. But he didn't call me fat ass. Pastry chef, hey, fat ass, get over here, fat ass. You know, and then the chef was like, hey, full blast, fat ass, get your fat ass over here. But the general manager, Jeff, hey, Jeff, you know. So there was this, I could tell that something was afoot. So as the restaurant gets built, restaurant's done, checklist is done, everything's ready to roll. All right, no more fat ass. I'm done. Restaurant looks beautiful. The, the kitchen looks great. The, shit, the cook, Some of the cooks were from all over New York. The kitchen was beautiful. The dining room was beautiful. Everything was great. I'm done. And there was a checklist. And I, with the, you know, we did what's called fuck you time. I don't know if you know what fuck you time is. 
but apparently when you're dealing with contractors, you hold back the last bit of payment and you you know and they want their payment but you have this kind of punch list of these little bullshit things that they need to do in order to get that check so i was running around with the fuck you list the fuck you, uh, uh was it the fuck you what did i say the fuck you yeah the, the the yeah i think it was the fuck you list or something i think there was something like that so you need to get these things punch list off so i was going around with the contractors of these stupid little things like you know electric outlet covers and all this nonsense but i was like i was just like i'm fucking out of here fat ass is out of here there isn't gonna be fat ass is about to be gone there's fat ass will be a, a figment of my imagination fat ass is gonna be history no more fat ass fat ass is gone fat ass is gone so i'm finishing off i'm starting to get the idea that i'm gonna be going somewhere else i'm excited because fat ass is gone fat ass is gone and I left. They opened the restaurant up. I'm back to, you know, running around these other places. And fat ass is a figment of my imagination. It is part of my past. Never to be brought up again. No more. Hey, fat ass. Full blast, fat ass. And then I got married. And I was with the company. And the owner of the company says to me, look, Jeff, I have a question for you. The, partic- the bar manager of this restaurant is not, he's not doing a great job. He's actually, dep- he's depressing. And nobody wants to go to a bar where the bartender is depressing. He's depressing people. So how would you like to be the bar manager of the restaurant you just built? And I was just like, and it wasn't really, it wasn't as if I, you know, here's some options. What would you like to do? It was like, we want you to be the bar manager of this restaurant. And I think to myself, all right, well, that's, you know, that's, that's where I'm, you know, that's all right. I'm, that's this or probably no job. So I think it was encouraging that not only that this is a great option for you, but this is your, this, there's no, this is it. This is where you're going. So after my, my, uh, my uh, honeymoon, I reported back to the restaurant and, um, Apparently, there was a lot of buzz, and I come up to the bar, and the chef's there, and the pastry chef's there, and the general manager's there, and I hear, Hey, welcome back, fat ass! The return of fat ass. I'm fucking bad. I thought I was gone. I thought no more fat ass, but fat ass! All of a sudden, fat ass is back. This is like, I'm just, this is humiliating, totally humiliating. I thought this was a part of my life that was over. Fat ass is gone. Now fat ass is back. So I started in and the general manager uh, was kind of helping me. He, I very was very clear. I'm like, listen, I can pour a glass of wine. I can get some beer, open a beer bottle or two. But when it comes to making drinks, I can make like vodka tonics and all that shit. But, like, you're going to have to help me out on, like, sidecars and margaritas and shit. I'm just like, you know, that ain't my thing. Well, the, the bar wasn't, the bar was a really, like, a, you know, the bar business nowadays. I mean, you, you hear about these guys who are mixologists and they're making, like, you know, these fucking crazy drinks. But, you know, your, your standard bar goer is beer, wine, got to learn it at the time, 19 years ago, Cosmos were big, so I had to learn how to make Cosmos, 
once in a while there was a sidecar, but it was a lot of vodka on the rocks, martinis, you know. So it wasn't that hard to do. But it was just like being in this being in this environment where at any moment uh, I was called to as fat ass. Hey, fat ass. And God help me if I I had to be very I was told at a very early don't run out of anything. You know, if you got to like you got to have that that's where I learned that you got to have shit stashed away, just a backups of shit, don't you don't tell anybody cuz God forbid, God forbid you run out of something. Fatass. Are you out of paper napkins? Fatass, you fucked up, fatass. You fucked up. What are you stupid? You know, it was a lot of that. So it wasn't it was just the fact that I didn't want to be the guy to run out of, but it was like, it was just going to be like this. It was just going to be this fat-ass baseball bat over my head. So there was a lot, very much along the lines of, all right, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to stick to this, but I'm going to limit my fat-ass, being called fat-ass, and one of the reasons I can't fuck up, because if I fuck up, it's going to be a fat-ass baseball bat. So I really learned how to, like, prevent myself from being, you know, noticed to try to do a good job. Even if I did a good job, I was still, hey, fat ass. What did, come on, fat ass. What are you doing? You're so fat. You know, it was a lot of that. It was still a lot of that. And I think in my, deep in my heart, I think he thought it was funny. And I think that he thought that it was, uh, you know, this is some sort of fraternity. But it was like, there wasn't, I mean, the restaurant businesses, this is not known for sensitivity. But it just got to the point where I was just like, I'm not even fucking fat, dude. You know, so as time goes by, uh, I'm starting to, you know, it's just the whole thing is just like, it isn't optimal. But I'm making it happen. However, I'm slightly miserable. And at the time, my wife was in, in nursing school, so we wouldn't really even see each other. And then 9-11 hit. And the re- I was at this restaurant uh, during 9-11. And um, it was, you know, hor- hor- horrible, horrible, horrible. Worst, 9-11, I'm going to say this, and I'll say this again, and probably at some point we'll talk about 9-11. 9-11 was my, the worst day of my life. I've had family die. I've had my father die. Nothing comes close, in my opinion, than 9-11. And there's a lot of similarities between what we're dealing with now May of 2020 and 9-11, but, you know, that's for another day. So 9-11 hits, and then, you know, we're stuck in our homes, can't go over the bridge, can't get on the subway, restaurants are closed, and as we start to, like, start to open up the bridges, start to open up the subways after, you know, a week or so, start to go back to the restaurant, and as expected, people aren't going to restaurants. At the time... After 9-11, there were feelings of, you know, there were all these, you know, random anthrax attacks, you know, but they were not real anthrax. There was these weird fears of anthrax. And P.S., back to when I was, in regards to the anthrax, back to when I had gone to that weird West African storage facility in Chelsea, that was like the number one place where there were these weird tracings of anthrax. And it wasn't people who were planning anthrax attacks. It was because of when you, I guess, I guess there's a relationship when you're tanning animals for hides and stuff. The, the, I guess they use anthrax involved, you know, in, in the tanning process or something like that. So <laughs> these guys were there was like all these like tracings of anthrax in that whole area. So it was like, ugh. and we found out later. I was like, oh jeez. 
So 9-11 kind of comes and goes, but people, the restaurant business is just, I mean, it, people are not going out, and it's fucking hard. New York City is just like, a, is just the restaurant industry is tough, and they're trying to figure out things. And this restaurant was brand new. I mean, we're talking not even a few months old. It had been reviewed in the New York Times. It got a great review in the New York Times. Um, and then things started to kind of dry up. And it wasn't to, to the fact, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, anybody's fault at this point. It had gotten good reviews in the Times. They started to get busy after the Times review. But it was definitely one of those things where, you know, you could see the writing was on the wall. It was just the timing was bad. So, the you know, there was people weren't coming into the bar. People weren't coming to the restaurant. The cooks were playing cards. I was, you know, just doing inventory. There would be uh, one dude come in. There were nights where there was, like, maybe three people in the bar. I mean, no one was making any money. And, you know, no one's coming to the restaurant. The bill's got to be paid. The cook's got to be paid. You got, like, you know, ten cooks downstairs just, like, you know, fucking around. It was horrible, horrible. So... It started to become very apparent that this is not going to be sustainable. You can't have all this staff here. So I was given insider information from the owners saying, we're going to pull you out. And and we're going to pull you out in a way that's going to be like, you know, we're going to send you somewhere else. Because we just don't think this restaurant's going to, you know, it was, it, they didn't come out and say it, but they came out and said it just like, you know, he ain't, he's not laying people off because he's trying to be loyal to his guys. But we can't, we can't, the payroll's too high. And there are many things that I'm not privy to, but it was very apparent that like you were between a rock and a hard place in this restaurant and fat ass was going to get pulled out. So I was told one night, look, they're going to fire you tonight. And once they fire you, you are to go down to this, you know, restaurant and you're going to go help them and you're going to start to work for them. You're going to start to work for our restaurant at this place. So I said, wait, wait, what? He's like, they're going to fire you before service. And when they fire you, you go down to the restaurant, to this other restaurant downtown. And I said, you sure? It's all, all right. Whatever, you know, whatever you say. And all of a sudden, fat ass is gone again. Fat ass is out the door. There's no more fat ass. Fat ass is going to leave for the second time, and there's no coming back because this restaurant is going under, and fat ass is getting thrown a life preserver. Everyone's going to sink, but not fat ass. Fat ass will be a rat leaving a sinking ship. Fine. I mean, that wasn't really my decision, and fine. But there was enough hostility that it was just like, I ain't crying. So I started to go in. I went to the restaurant. I had a little bit of extra. I should have. I'm not. A, I wasn't a very good actor. And I, and I should have had a little bit less spring in my step because it was very clear when I'd come in. Hey, fat ass. Well, look at you. What did you have for lunch? I mean, it was like, come on, man. Just please give me a break. I'm begging. I'm begging you. I'm begging you to give me a break. It never, it never came. So I came in. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Thinking. Of, and and uh, the chef was sitting at his desk and he just looked terrible face was white he just you know his hands and hands in his hands and he's just like jeff um we need to talk and all of a sudden it's fucking jeff there's no fat ass <laughs> and all of a sudden oh yeah i know something going on because yo there's no fat ass anymore no more fat ass we go and no more full blast either this is definitely not full blast so I just remember, Jeff, um, I need to speak to you. Let's go upstairs. 
So I go upstairs. And I'm like, hey, chef, what's going on? What's going on? And and there sh- he should have known. I was a little too happy. I was a little bit too happy. He should have known I knew what was going on. So I go upstairs to the bar, and I sit down on one of the banquets, and the chef sits down, and then the the uh, general manager sits down. This general P.S. The general manager and I, he was a very severe guy. He's from uh, he's Alsatian, and he was like very. He had a particular way of treating waiters and the staff, and he had this. He told me he would. He actually nice enough. At the end of the night, he lived in Brooklyn, and he would give me rides. So he had a taxi cab who would come and be outside the restaurant, and he would give me a lift home, and I'd listen to him and stuff like that. And ultimately, that was the nicest thing he he did. That was really always very nice. He would just he would have his guy drive me home. But he had this way. He says, "You never say hello to the. You never say good morning. You never say good night. You never shake the hands of your waiters. You don't, you have create no relationship with your waiters." He was a severe guy, but he, you know, and he, you know, but I, that's it. That was his move, and I, you know, I didn't really wasn't a big deal. But he was severe. He was a severe guy, a little bit sadistic. There was a little bit of sadism there. But you know, the, I I chalked that up to being Alsatian, which is you know, I just chalked that up to it's kind of French, kind of German. I just thought maybe it's a cultural thing. But what do I know? I'm fucking fat ass. So all of a sudden, I'm sitting down at this banquet, and the chef's sitting down, and the general manager's sitting down. And the, the chef's looking down. He goes, you know, Jeff, times are very hard. Times are very hard right now. And the restaurant is not doing as well as we were hoping, and uh, 9-11 was a terrible time for us. You know, uh, and you know that I... This is very, very difficult time for everybody, but especially me. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting to get thrown out. I'm waiting to get fired. And I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, so hard. Everything's so hard. I know it's terrible. Restaurant is terrible. This is hard. This is so hard. And I'm thinking, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. I don't want to. I don't want to make another drink in this restaurant. And he goes, he goes, Jeff. It really pains me to say that. Um, I have to make a decision based on the payroll of the restaurant and what's best for you and what's best for me and best for the restaurant. I have to I have to cut your salary. What? What? Cut my salary? That wasn't supposed to happen. Cut my salary. He's like he says, you know, it's very hard for me and I just I need to talk to you about it because it makes me it hurts me, but I I, we can't afford we can't afford your regular salary, so we're going to cut your salary. And I'm just like, I'm thinking. I thought the fix was in. I thought I thought I was supposed to be fired. And I'm just sitting there, just like, I was told I was going to be fired, and I didn't say anything. I'm thinking to myself, now what do I do? And I was just like, oh, I'm going to have to think about it. And I'm just thinking, I don't know. I mean, is this some sort of code that I'm supposed to? I don't. Am I supposed to know? There, I'm. This is all fucked up now. Fat ass is confused. Fat ass is really fucking confused because I think that I'm supposed to be fired, and clearly I'm not. So fat ass over here is confused as fuck. And I said, "Well, let me think about it." He goes, "What do you mean think about it?" I'm just glad ah, you know I. I can't live off that, and I'm, now I have to like fucking think on my feet. Now I have to think, well, I can't let them know. I can't just say, well, they're trying to, I'm, I'm in told I'm supposed to go somewhere else. I got to like, I'm playing some game that I'm not 100% sure what I'm supposed to play. And I was just like, well, yeah, let me think about it. Think about it. So he's just like, what is this? And he's, I'm like, I. so I leave 
and I call up the the restaurant, and they said, "Okay, are you on the way?" They call up the the uh, the restaurant group, and I'm like, and they say, "All right, Jeff, are you on your way down to this other restaurant?" And I said, "Well, there seems to be a problem." What do you mean a problem? And I said, "Well, they didn't fire me." They said, "What do you mean they didn't fire you?" And I said, "Why? Well, you told me they were going to fire me, and they didn't fire me. I'm fucking. They fucking cut my. They told me they were going to cut my salary." What? I said, "Yeah, you told me they were going to fire me. I'm waiting to be fired." And they just they just told me to cut my salary. Now what am I supposed to do? And they said, "Well, no, you're supposed to tell them no." I said, "Tell them no. What do you mean, tell them no? What am I supposed to say?" You and they said, "Whatever. Say whatever you have to say." And I said, uh, "And then all of a sudden, I could hear who's in the background saying, "What did he say? They didn't fire him. I fucking told him to fire him." And then the big owner comes in. And he goes, "They didn't fire you. I told them specifically to fire you." And I said. I, Sir, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, they, they, I, I'm telling you what they told me. They said they're gonna. I, it's not my fault. I, it's not my fault that they. I'm supposed to be fired. You didn't fire me. I don't know, but I, they didn't fire me. So, they, uh, all of a sudden, <laughs> the chef says, "God damn it! I told them to fire you." So they, he says, "Well, just leave. Just don't go to service." I'm like, "What? Just don't show up?" He's like, "I said I can't do that. They're expecting me for service. They're, they're planning on me being served. I can't." They didn't fire me. They're expecting me to work. They said, just tell them anything. So I go back to the restaurant, and I'm just like, what the fuck am I going to tell these people? And I just went to the chef, and he said, chef, what do you... So I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it, chef. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I can't do it. What do you mean you can't do it? And I said, I can't live like this. I can't live like this. And he goes, is this the money? And at the split second, I had to think to myself, why, how am I going to tell this guy I can't work here anymore? I have to be very, I have to have a good reason. And it just kind of like dawned on me. And I said, I don't want to work here anymore. If you're going to, I don't want to work here anymore. I don't want the, the money's not any good anymore. Wasn't good before, but I don't like it here. He said, what do you mean you don't like it here? And I just like, it just came out of the blue. I said, you call me fat ass what? I said, you fucking call me fat ass and I don't like it. But it's just a joke, Jeff. It's just a joke. You're my friend. Uh, you've been with me from the beginning. I said, yeah, but, but you call me fat ass all the time. And when I ask you why you call me fat ass, you say, because I'm fat. And we all know that I'm not fat, but you still keep doing it. He's oh, this can't be the reason. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? And all of a sudden I'm all in. Fat ass is going to get the fuck out of here, and it's all because of his fault, and fat ass is going to do whatever it takes to get out of here, and I'm going to own fat ass. I'm owning it. Fat ass is getting the fuck out of here, okay? So I just said to him, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I fucking don't like it. I don't like, I don't like the way you've been treating me. I don't like that you call me fat ass all the time. I'm fucking, I don't want it anymore, and I, I'm going to come to a place that I'm called fat ass, and you're going to pay me less money and you still keep calling me fat ass? I don't think so. I don't think this is any good. Well, you got to finish. Uh, you have to, f please, can you do the shift tonight? And I, and I said, let me think about it. <laughs> and I called the, and then I walk around the block again. I'm like, this is fucking brutal. How do I even get out of here? So I called them up and they said, so did you quit? Did you leave? I'm like, no. And I'm like, what? I said, like, can I just do service tonight? And they said, what do you mean? Can you do service tonight? No. We need you down at this other restaurant. And I said, well, how come you guys didn't say anything? Why didn't you just say to him, call him up and say, just 
Get it. We need them somewhere else. Why are you making me go through all this fat ass shit? And it's like, it's enough. It's, it's, it's just like the thing's heavy. He's like, he's like, we want you to just walk out. And I'm like, wow, I can't. So I go back in and the chef is just like, something is happening. I know something is wrong. This is something is wrong. I don't understand what's going on, but this isn't because I call you fat ass. And I'm like, it's because you call me fat ass. I don't want to work here anymore. And it was just like, I'm not, I don't know what to tell you, but I didn't like being called fat ass and I don't like it. And that's it. And that's over. And I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. And I can't do service. And that's it. And it, we started getting very, it just got ugly. It got ugly and fat ass left. Fat ass left. And I was thinking there's just no way they're going to ask me to come back again. And when that whole story finished, it was like I called him up and, and uh, he, I, I got the feeling towards the end that he kind of knew something was not right. There's just no, I mean, it, the whole thing was just like super fishy. And uh, I went down to the restaurant. I clapped my hands. That's the end of that. Fat ass is gone. Put fat ass to bed. And uh, I started in at this other restaurant. And a few weeks passed and a few months passed. And I talked, I know some of the cooks at the restaurant. They could, it was, it was when, when I got thrown out, not thrown out, when I left, everybody knew that I was kind of like part of the restaurant group. There wasn't any doubt. I mean, there wasn't any doubt that I was like part of the restaurant group. Except everyone just assumed that I was like because I'm part of the restaurant group, that mean that meant that the, the cooks could everybody could have faith that if I was there, that meant that the restaurant group was there. So when I left, it came became very apparent that fat ass, if fat ass is gone, we don't have a lot of fucking. We don't have a lot of time left in this joint, which was the case. And I, and, I, and I felt terrible about it, to be honest with you, because I just felt like it could have been a lot handled a lot better than, you know, fuck you, fat ass, get out. I mean, or, or you're fired, fat ass. It could, have been, it could have been handled a lot better than it wasn't. I felt bad, but at the same time, I helped build this restaurant. I think I did a good job, and I felt good about it. I felt like shit that it went under, that, it, that the 9-11... I felt shit about 9-11. I felt, like, terrible that it wasn't going well. And I also felt bad that they were calling me fat ass all the time. Fat ass, you know, call your, I dare you to call your coworker fat ass all the time and see how that works out. It's not going to be good. So as time went on, I was at this other restaurant and uh, where I met my business partner, Tony, uh, of the Overseason podcast on the Makery Network Go check out Overseason if you want, like, restaurant stories. It's an awesome podcast with his partner, Xavier. And uh, that's where I met Tony. And one day I was sitting in the office and was downstairs, and the chef got on the phone. The chef at the new restaurant I was at got on the phone, and I, I got on the intercom and says, Jeff, there's a call on line one. It's a call on line one. All right. So I pick up the phone. He says, Jeff. It's me. And it was the general manager from the old restaurant. He tracked me down. He figured it out. He says, I know what you did. This, is the, this was the Alsatian general manager, the severe guy. He says, I know what you did. I know what's happened with you and the restaurant group. I know how, I know, and I just want you to know something. This is a very, very small uh, community, the restaurant business. 
the restaurant. Small. We know everybody. Everybody knows everybody. I'm going to have my revenge. I'm going to have my revenge. And I just want you to know that it isn't over. So he went out of his way to track me down and to, to kind of light me up. He didn't really light me up. He just wanted me to know that he knew what happened and that my days in the restaurant business are over. He wanted revenge. He wanted revenge. And I was like, look, I'm sorry. I It really was out of my hands. And I just was like, what can you do? Look, he wants revenge. What am I supposed to do? And it was 19 years ago, and things changed, but the full blast became one of those things that I just started saying all the time because I thought it was such this beautiful expression of, of let's not talk about it. Let's not dilly-dally. We go full blast. I mean, obviously, it's not just like you dive in head first into a three-foot pond, but it's the idea of... of you know, going full blast and getting the thing, you you know, stop talking about it and let's get it done and having a plan and organized and, you know, be very, there's something to do with in blacksmithing. And we'll talk about that down the line too, that there's something very, you know, be direct, be clear, be uh, organized in your thoughts and your minds and your actions and go full blast. So that leads us now, 19 years later, it seems as though that general manager may have gotten his revenge on me altogether. And with that said, I'm going to give the first uh, advertisement, the first plug, the first read to my first company I'm going to be talking about. And it's, guess what? It's Fader Knives. That's right. Fader Knives is my company. Fader Knives in the heart of the Hudson Valley. FaderKnives.com. I make, we make culinary knives we make hunting knives we make we'll make you whatever you want and if you go to faderknives.com if you follow fader knives on instagram there's all sorts of content you can see my, all my nonsense and my bullshit and see what fat ass is up to and i will make you something beautiful and i'm a lot different than a lot of guys because what we do is we do things custom to suit you i'll make you whatever you want to be honest with you change colors and wood handles and you have carbon steel, stainless steel. It Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And the cool thing is, is when you get some knives from me, I'll give you these detailed uh, progress reports so you can see your knife being built. It's fun. So you get emails watching your knife being built, and it's a great way for you to kind of see how things are going, the ways knives are made and all that. And if you're sentimental, I understand. I'm not sentimental, but you are. I have customers who send me, uh, I propose to my wife underneath this tree. We cut down the tree, and all of a sudden, I can you make a knife with this part of this tree? And I yeah, absolutely. So they sent me this block of tree, and I cut the tree into space, and I stabilized it, and I made this handle out of this tree that he proposed to his wife under. I can do that. Guy, make, guy wants part of his... You know, his dad's cabin uh, made into scales for a knife, no problem. And it's not just knife scales. Let's say you're a family member dies. Let's say grandpa dies, and he's sitting in that urn on your fireplace mantle, not doing anything. You can send me a little bit of grandpa. I'll mix him in epoxy, and then we'll make the nice file work, the decorative file work. It'll look like inlay. We'll have a little bit of grandpa in there. So when you're cutting your onions, it ain't the onions that are making you cry. It's the thought of grandpa's helping me make this meal. And let's just say for argument's sake that you accidentally gave me a pinch of grandma. 
Maybe you made a mistake. You gave me the ashes of grandma instead of grandpa. We don't have to. We don't have to go back and forth on the with the mail. Just, I'm discreet. I'll, don't worry about it. We'll just say it's grandpa. I mean, hell, go out to the. You know, you go out to the barbecue and you see a burnt up wiener in your barbecue pit. Just take a pinch of that, send it off to me, and say this is sentimental. I, this is a by grandpa's ashes, and we'll get the burnt up wiener into the knife. No problem. So faderknives.com, I'll make you whatever you want, and I'm discreet, and I make great knives, and blah, blah, blah. And if you put in promo code, a pinch your grandma, I'll send you a bottle opener or something like that. How do you like that? So you write in the note, you buy, if you're a listener of the Full Blast podcast, and you buy a knife from Fader Knives, in the comment section write, I need a pinch of grandma, I'll send you a hand-forged bottle opener. Is that fine? I like it. And that's fine by me. So faderknives.com. Follow me on Instagram, faderknives. Boom. There we go. First ad. And by the way, in regards to advertisement on the Full Blast podcast, there's going to be a lot of advertisement because these are off. off these are strange times, and you need free content. But your free content doesn't isn't free because you're going to have to listen to or fast forward through ads. So there might be ads. We were talking. I was talking to Craig about potential ads. And he was saying, well, I just don't want it to be, you know, you know, I don't want it to be vaping, maybe not vaping, maybe not gambling. Fine. I'll take the vaping and the gambling. I'll sell dick pills, mattresses, vaping, gambling. I have no scruples. None. At this point in the time, I, whatever's, whatever you want to sell, if you're an advertiser and you want to get involved with the Full Blast podcast, I'm with you. I'm with you. A few scruples, and that's it. So that's where we're at there. So now let's get back into the show. We just flash forward to now. Um, we're in 2020, and I just want to give a little bit of quick backstory. As I said before, my wife is a nurse. She's a nurse practitioner. And we started to feel, started to hear, hear small rumblings of what we're dealing with this pandemic. And I'm going to be very, very clear there. We started to hear, she started to hear small grumblings about something going on in China in late December, late December. There was somebody she worked with who had some friends or colleagues in China. Things started to just, just these little pin drops of something happening. But at the time, most people were just like, ah, they have all sorts of shit going on all over the place. Into January, a little bit more. January, by the end of January, the places that she was working and a lot of other places are starting to talk about this virus, coronavirus. And into February, they're starting to really kind of, what do we do? And protocols. And every day I'm talking to my wife. What are they saying? What are you doing? What are you doing? And they're trying, the hospitals are trying to prepare themselves. And you start to hear about outbreaks in Iran and outbreaks in Italy and outbreaks in Europe. And then you start to hear about it hit the United States and the cruise ship on the West Coast in Olympia, Washington, home of Mareko Momasi. That was the first one I heard of. And then all of a sudden, New Rochelle, Westchester, New York. And then getting into February, I started to... I My friends in Australia, shout out to Mert Tansu, started talking about this is 
the beginning, the end of January, beginning of February, started talking about how in Australia toilet paper is becoming a thing. And I start to, my family thinks I'm crazy. I ordered some extra toilet paper beginning of January, be, uh, beginning of February. And then all of a sudden, okay, February, end of February. Now, this is something. Right before the end of February, I taught a blacksmithing class down in Florida at my buddy Jonathan Porter's place, Doghouse Forge. I started to see people wearing masks on airplanes. People were wiping down their seats. Uh, I wasn't, for some reason, I wasn't scared. For some reason, I thought, all right, this is just a thing. This is like, you know, when SARS, SARS happened, their swine flu wasn't really, didn't really affect me. So, but it started to become a little bit nervous making. Come back from Florida, and I just said, my wife, I am not flying. I'm not going to get on a plane again, which was, I wasn't planning on it anyway. And then all of a sudden, it's getting more and more and more. My wife's saying, you know, we're now in the, in the March. There are protocols. When she gets to work, she's wearing a mask. They're being very careful. They're starting to like, you know, it's be, it's the clinics are becoming a little bit more nervous for the patients because they see that people are wearing masks and and all of a sudden it's getting very anxious making and it's building and people are talking about all of a sudden social distancing, social distancing and staying away from people and staying away from this and staying away from that. And now all of a sudden in Italy, they're France and they're starting to do more lockdowns and, and the United States is getting a little bit more nervous and everyone's kind of freaking out. And, the, and all of a sudden I start to realize, and people are like being told, eh, maybe you shouldn't go to places. The restaurants started getting hit especially up by me, I could tell, I mean, you know, restaurant business is one of those things that's just so, it's so on the brink. It's, a restaurant is like a bad week and you destroy it. So it just became very much along the lines of all these people are trying to get people involved and we're trying to like, let's be supportive of the restaurants, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, their schools, my kid was getting nervous. They were starting to talk about it in schools and you have coronavirus, you have COVID-19, or you, people are starting to, you know, my daughter brought hand sanitizer, and all of her friends started using the hand sanitizer, and I was just like, ugh, everything's starting to, like, it's starting to boil up into our, into our, it's boiling up into a point where, you know, it's affecting our lives. My wife is starting to wash her hands more, she's starting to, like, be more, I'm washing her hands when she gets to the house, after she comes to work, she gets another. And then all of a sudden, it's starting to get serious. They closed the schools down. This is nine weeks ago. My daughter's finishing off her ninth week where schools have been closed. She's been home. I changed my schedule around a little bit so I would be at the shop. I'd come to the shop a little bit less. I'd leave a little bit later. I wanted to make sure I was with her. We would walk the dogs. She was, you know, one week had passed. And then, you know, we're starting to, we're starting to, like, Hopefully this is going to go away. Hillary, and then when my kid was at home, we would I would come home early. We would walk the dogs, and then we would get everybody out of the house. So when my wife would come home, she could decontaminate, get herself into the bathroom, get herself in the shower, decontaminate from the day of being at this you know hospital or clinic. And by the time we got back with the dogs, she got her clothes in the laundry. She'd done the best, you know, she wiped everything down and everything like that. And then the first week of April, well, the end of March, they st the hospital was very smart. They started to realize we need to start to kind of like separate out some of the staff. So they were allowing some of the, the healthcare workers to work from home, doing telemedicine. 
so they were they wouldn't have all the main players on the floors on the same day it was a super super smart move because then it allowed there to be this kind of like space in between them all and they weren't really like interacting so my wife would work three days from three days at the clinic and then two days home and then on i think it was april 2nd she was working from home and we were had dinner and she just turns to me and she says you know i don't feel so great and she get into bed and uh she said, i don't feel good i got a headache i'm starting to like i'm starting to feel kind of like the chills and you know the chills the the fever and the chills it's like it goes up it hurts your skin it hurts your it's into your back it hurts your skin and that's well and i turned to her and i said well what should we do and she goes well let's just let me sleep the night and then we'll make a decision in the morning so she was planning on staying home the next day anyway it was a thursday she's planning on staying on working from home on friday and so the next morning she wakes up and she's like i didn't sleep at all last night i have a fever and I said, like, okay, well, what do we do? And she goes, well, you got to get out of here. So I get all my stuff, go to the guest room, and I start to be prepared for the fact that she's going to quarantine. She's going to self quarantine. She, at the time, there weren't, it wasn't, it was very hard to get tests, still is to get hard to get tests. So she called their health and human services and they said, we will get you a test. At the time, they started to kind of build up these, you know, all of a sudden when this coronavirus, COVID-19 started to hit, people were swarming. The whole idea was it wasn't we're all going to die. It was besides without COVID-19 and the coronavirus, everyone's sick anyway. People still have cancer and they have particular uh, illnesses. They need to see their doctors. They need to see their sur- have a surgery or a broken leg or stuff like that. On top of all the regular business, you're about to get flooded with all these, you know, potential virus people who are, you know, uh, who are positive for this virus. So they needed to not make sure that the healthcare service was not overwhelmed. So the idea of flattening the curve, you've heard it. I'm sure you're sick of hearing it and I'm sick of hearing it too. So they called her, they, she called up and they said, come to this parking lot. They started to build these, you know, these um, transportable, these like tents to kind of test people. So, so she drove there. They gave her a portable chest x-ray. They took the swab up her nose. She came home up to the third floor. I made her some food. She didn't really want to eat. She was clearly sick. The fever was like getting, you know, worse and worse and worse. She started quarantining and then I started to like make plans. My kid was super, being super helpful. We were going to do take care of the laundry, take care of the dishes and clean the house, take care of the pets and the dogs and the cats and everything like that. And then every so often I text my wife, are you all right? You need anything? No, you can have some of this, can have some of that. So as the days passed, she, she was coughing. She had gotten a mask to wear for herself. She was quarantining on the third floor, using our only bathroom when she needed it. And then when she'd come, when she'd leave the bathroom, I'd wipe the place down like a mental patient. And then we finally got the results. She was tested positive for COVID-19. And it was like, it was in my mind, it was the most terrifying thing because all I could think of is, well, now how can we help? How can we help her? How can we, I can't, how, how are we going to keep, coronavirus on the third floor i'm a slob i'm not i'm not i'm not your best 
meticulous guy when it comes to cleaning the house or wiping my hands or I'm not the best, but I'm going to do my best. And my kid was nervous and we were, I was trying to, you know, we were working together. My kid and I became a team. And all of a sudden, as the days passed and the mornings, my wife would wake up and she says, I had night sweats. The, the bed would be soaking wet. She would have these incredible night sweats. She changed the sheets, sweating profusely. It was like they dumped a you know, bucket of water on her. And as, after a few days of that, she really started to go downhill. She was dehydrated. She was, you know, she couldn't walk around so much. And we were actually, one of the things that my kid and I were doing was we were trying to, we were walking the dogs. And walking the dogs became something that was like, my daughter and I would, we'd, we'd keep the dogs walking. We'd make sure that they, you know, you know, they got out of their exercise so they wouldn't drive us crazy. And then it was this time for us to kind of bond. And um, all of a sudden, I got a call from a text or a call from my wife, which was weird because she knew we were walking the dogs. She said, I need you to come back now because I called the paramedics. I'm like, what? So we race back to the house and my daughter goes in the backyard with the dogs. The dogs start barking. The ambulance shows up. The ambulance gave her strict instructions don't approach the the ambulance we're going to come to you she was sitting out on the porch with the mask on and it was the hillary like my kid was scared my wife was scared the dogs were barking it was so intense it was super intense so she had told me that you know you can call the ambulance and it doesn't mean you're going to go to the hospital they can test you know they can check your you know whatever check your vitals and just make sure that you're all right so they checked all of her vitals and she was de- they her blood pressure was very low and they, she was very dehydrated and they said to her look there's a lot of people right now in the hospital who need these beds i think that you know they were like they didn't say to her you don't need to be here but she made the decision to say all right i'm going to be okay and we sent the paramedics away I got her upstairs. She sat on the stairs drinking water and just like, just not her. It was not her. It was somebody else. This is a woman who was one of the toughest people. She never gets sick. When she has the flu, she's, you know, two days, two days and that's it. This is like now we're on the first week. Get her upstairs and she's nervous. She's nervous. Her heart's pumping. She said to me, she said to me, the reason why I called is because, you know, what they're finding in a lot of younger people is they're fighting off this so hard that there's this response that ends up damaging your organs and you get into organ failure and you kind of backpedal, you downs, you slide into a very, very dangerous situation very quickly. And I just, she's like, I was feeling like I was dying and I just, I just, I couldn't, I didn't want to die. I'm like, of course. So I sat there with her and it was intense, man. And I sat on the other side of the room and I had a mask on, she had a mask on. I was just talk and breathe and got her some water and she started to kind of like relax and she was drinking water and the fear kind of started to go away. And it was like, I sat up there for like a couple hours and we just talked and I just tried to, you know, we just talked and it was like, I, I've never been more scared in my life. And then after a couple days uh, of like being very on the brink and she wasn't eating and I was trying to get her to eat and rice, egg whites, anything, you know, I just wanted her to eat. I was just so afraid. I was just terrified. And my kid was afraid and I didn't want to be afraid and I didn't want her to be afraid for her. And she, it turns out Hillary said, 
my wife said she didn't want to be afraid for me. She was like, I was holding it together. I thought I didn't want to sleep at night. I didn't want to go to sleep at night. And I didn't want to tell her. I wanted to go check on her at night because I was afraid. I wanted to make sure she was still breathing. It was just terrible. So after a couple of days, my kids started to get like the symptoms. This is like a couple after, you know, now we're talking a week after, you know, she was diagnosed. Uh, a little under a week after she diagnosed. My kids started to get tired. I don't feel so good. She started to get very lethargic, fatigued. So she slept all day. I'm like, I, 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 this is bad. And then I started to realize I started to have this kind of like the beginnings of chills in my back, you know, that feeling in your spine where it's just like your skin kind of hurts. And I thought, I, I, what am I going to do if I have, if my wife is still flat on her back and then I have COVID-19, who's going to take care of us? My kid? What happens if she's sick and I'm sick? Now what do we do? I just the dogs were barking and the cats needed to get it. We got lucky. The next morning I went in. It's my my. I felt okay after I felt. I mean, then been sleeping in weeks, but I felt much better. My daughter said, "I've slept all day yesterday. I feel great." We walked the dogs. My wife was starting to feel better. She started to eat. She was still super, super, super uh, fatigued, but she was feeling good. And we just, all of a sudden, things just started to kind of pick up. Pick up to the point where my wife was starting to eat. She was gaining taste, gaining uh, hunger and stuff like that. And one of the things, speaking of taste, one of the things that I started to notice was I was losing my sense of taste. I had a glass of whiskey, and I couldn't tell that it, what it was. I could tell there was alcohol, but that was it. And it was terrifying because I was just like, wait a second. That, they're starting to say that that's a symptom of COVID-19, no taste. I tasted something I had cooked. I thought I'd oversalted it. All I tasted was the salt. And my wife was like, oh, it tasted normal. It tasted exactly the same. I was like, I don't know. I think I put too much salt in it. Could, all I could taste was the salt. So she got us te uh, testing. She called Department of blah, blah, blah. And uh, they said, well, because, you know, you're because your wife had a positive test and she was COVID-19 and we could put it in one case, we'll get you the test. So my daughter and I drove in a couple of days. We're feeling pretty good. We drove to this Westchester medical place and we got, you know, we had an appointment and it was this totally crazy situation where we got there and we got in line and we were talking through the windows and we had paper on our windshields. This was my name was in front of me on my driver's side. My daughter's name and her information was on the, the dashboard of the other side. And it was totally crazy. It was this crazy, crazy moment where they had masks on and they were talking to us in the window. Don't roll your windows down. It was, it was like, and then we went and we got, we went to this bay, we're driving checkpoints, and they were putting all of our information under the windshield wiper, and they were checkpoint, 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 and my daughter and I were like, getting, giggling, but nervous, and then all of a sudden, we started to realize, we saw this big tent, and there were people with, you know, the hazmat outfits and the costumes on, and they said, all right, well, here's what we're going to do, and they're talking to the window, here's what we're going to do, we're going to... You're gonna roll your window down, and you're gonna, 
you're gonna roll your window down and then we're gonna put this swab up your nose through your nasal canal. We have to test the nasal cavity. And I'm like, all right, okay, all right, I'm fine. And my kid's there and they roll, she's, they say, okay, uh, miss, can you please roll your window down? So my daughter rolls her window down and they take, rip open these packages with these giant, these giant, giant, like flexible uh, swabs. And I'm like, I'm going to put that fucking thing in my nose. And I, and I, and I, I was such a chicken. I was such a chicken. I couldn't watch as they put it in my daughter's nose. And I couldn't. And then they get to me and they said, now, one thing you don't want to do is don't move. Don't make any sudden jerks because we're really putting it back there. They put this fucking four and a half inch swab up and into my nose, went down the back. I don't fucking, I mean, people, you know, it makes you feel like, you, you know, it's, you can feel it behind your eye a little bit. I don't know why that is. That's fucking weird. I'm, I'm assuming I don't know the human body, nor do I care to know, but I'm assuming it's going down. Fine. Pull it out. We're all... <laughs> it was like we had a... <laughs> we couldn't... They pushed some boogers back there. It felt terrible. And uh, we were like... It was crazy. It felt weird for, you know, a little bit. It was an awful, awful feeling. And then uh, we got the results. And then I'm going to leave you there with that because... That's what we're going to talk about in the next episode. So we'll talk about the results. We'll talk about how we're doing. We'll talk about I have a lot of other things I want to get to. Um, we have a few. <laughs> I got a few things in the can we're going to talk about. But with that said, you know, the funny thing is, is with all what's going on with my family and all this, you know, what's going on in the world right now, I, I felt very strongly about being helpful. I, you can blame whoever you want to blame. But blaming people... And blaming people now doesn't help the situation. You know, there are restaurants out there who are not out of work. There are restaurant workers out of work right now. I don't know how the hell they're doing it. I don't know what they're supposed to do. There's some people are being deemed essential workers and some people are being deemed non-essential workers, which in my opinion seems a little bit, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's a nice way of saying some people are essential workers and some people are frivolous workers. We'll talk about that another time. But I really wanted to try to be helpful. And what we're going to do now is we're going to lead into my second advertisement, the second promo, my second read for the Full Blast podcast. And it is for my fucking friends at the Peekskill Coffee House. If you go to peekskillcoffee.com, there's some, they're selling coffee. It's a fantastic coffee. They, everything they make is very good. But because of the restaurants being, the way their places are open, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be in Peekskill to get their coffee. You can get their coffee anywhere. And all you have to do is go to peekskillcoffee.com and go down to all the stuff that they're selling. One of the things that they're selling is Fader Knives EDC coffee. That's everyday coffee. Fader Knives EDC is a blend that they made for me to help sell. And this is why this is such a great thing. This coffee, 70% of the sales goes to... Feed the Front Lines, which is an initiative made by the Westchester Magazine to basically, it's a kind of like a GoFundMe, but we're raising our own money to give to them. So what the, what the feed, feed the Front Lines does is it pays local restaurants to feed restaurant, uh, to feed frontline workers, which is awesome. It's a beautiful thing. So what we're going to do is I want you to go to peekskillcoffee.com. I want you to get yourself some Fader Knives EDC. 
I want you to be helpful and get some other stuff. They have great coffee. All their coffee is very good. And I'm going to tell you my honest opinion. When we came up with this idea, Sonny Cover, I said, I said, listen, you come up with a Fader Knives EDC roast, I will sell the shit out of it. And I was very nervous because I thought, I don't know about coffee. I like, you know, I grew up drinking coffee from bodegas, coffee regular, milk and sugar, fine. I'm not a coffee connoisseur i'm not a coffee expert but what i do know is good coffee this coffee tastes great and we had a goal of selling um 250 bags for the feed the front lines we've sold as of now this is this is this is may may what is this may 12th something like that we sold 209 bags so we got 41 bags to go hopefully when this airs will have already been done and now it will be going to something else, and it will also be on the menu. Drink Fader Knives EDC coffee. Go buy EDC coffee and be helpful. I don't get a penny. I didn't want a penny. I wanted bragging rights, which I'm getting. It's been great. And go get yourself some Fader Knives EDC from the Peekskill Coffee House, peekskillcoffee.com. It's a very mellow. T- Let me read the. All right. It says, let me tell you about this coffee. The coffee notes are this is a blend of Pacific Island, South, and Central American coffee. It's the process is national, natural and washed. I don't know what that means. It's got it's got a strong, heavy body, just like me. And it's $15 for a 12-ounce bag plus shipping. Get yourself some EDC. I've been getting great reviews. Uh Thank you very much. So we're gonna go into it. We're gonna talk about other things. And now, as I get ready to leave you, here's what I need you to do, the listener. What I need you to do is I want you to sponsor, I want you to. I want you to help us. I want you to help us by uh, subscribing to this podcast. I need you to write good reviews. I got we, this is the first episode, so there isn't a whole lot there. And I want you to be supportive of everybody else on the Makery Network. This is going to be a great show. We're going to have some big dudes. I wish I could name some of the guys, uh, some of the people involved in this thing, because it's going to be it's a little bit mind blowing. But I'm not allowed because I'm I'm recording from the past and. By the time this airs, maybe there'll be more information. But other than that, really cool stuff. And how you can be involved with the Full Blast podcast is go to Instagram and follow me at the Full Blast podcast and join this conversation. You can DM me stories. You can DM me questions you want to ask. I'm trying to just, like I said, I'm trying not to be very like all right, well, this is the book you need to read, and this is what you need to do, and here's how you do this. I'm trying not to do that. I'm leaving that for everybody else. I'm trying to give you drivel. I'm trying to give you a little bit of very easy listening nonsense. That's what I want to do, and that's what I'm going to do. So go to uh, Instagram, follow the Full Blast podcast uh, on Instagram. You can DM me your stories. I got I got. In the next episode, we're going to be. I'm going to be telling you childhood traumas, these stories of humiliation. I have this story of humiliation that has has changed me as a person. Not only fat ass, fat ass wasn't when young. You, I'll tell you the story of chicken shit. Chicken shit. Before there was fat ass, there was chicken shit. And I'm going to get into chicken shit next episode. Chicken shit is a horrible story. I I am the damaged human being, and I'm most likely telling you my, my childhood traumas and my young traumas that probably turned me into just this garbage human being that I am. So this episode is about Jeff Fader fat ass. Next one is going to be about chicken shit. And what I need you to do in the third episode uh, is going to be my first 
uh, my first stories. I'm going to tell your stories. I have a story coming up from a friend of mine that is the craziest story I've ever heard in my life. So if you want to tell me your stories or your crazy traumas or your humiliations or funny stories that you want me to read on the podcast, go to the Full Blast podcast on Instagram and you can DM them to me. All right? DM them. Don't put them on the post. Just DM them to me and uh, we'll get this ball rolling. All right? Well, it looks like our time is up. So thank you very much for listening to the first episode of the Full Blast podcast. And we're going to go full blast, you know, because that's I'm here for you. I'm with you. And um, beat it, fat ass. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.